So welcome back to 42 to Doomsday, the only Doctor Who podcast that you could ever want to listen to. My name is Rob. And my name is Mark. Like the Donald Trump administration, we have emerged from our transition period to take supreme control of all podcasts in the Doctor Who universe. And just remember, folks, all facts are mutable. January everybody. Uh, hello Rob, nice to uh, be back in the chair as it were. How's it going? Very well, thank you Mark. I hope your uh, Christmas New Year period uh, went well. It was uh, delightful actually. I had uh, three weeks off work and spent most of those uh, days going to my dad's house, digging out my old vinyl collection, much to the dismay of my children. You put them on obviously, had the children sitting around the turntable? Well, I did put them on, start them off obviously, uh, albums and uh, uh, such as 1983 Summer Breaks. Australian listeners will uh, understand some of those obscure references, but every time I put a record on and walk out of the room and do something else, my son would walk over and turn the speed up from 33 to 45 and put the pitch up, so it sounded like chipmunks. The youth of today. Well, the youth, as, as long as they were listening to it and not merely tweeting how bored they were at their father's obsession with plastic. <laughs> no, not yet, not yet. <laughs> and how was your uh, break, Rob? I mean, I had a... One week break uh, that the office shut down, which uh, which is usual for us. Uh, re- returned to work on the first business day of the year, um, and uh, just ploughed into it. Um, so yeah, I, I had a little bit of a break. I visited relatives, as as is usually the case. Um, ate too much fine food and uh, not enough alcohol, sadly. But um, yes, after after the sort of. Uh, painful experience I had the pre- previous Christmas. It was actually good to be able to uh, indulge uh, to a certain extent. So yeah, it was decent. I, you know, now that I'm hopelessly middle aged, the, the 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 buzz of Christmas is sort of long gone. But it's it's nice to see my kids are still enjoying it. So yeah, nice. Was the pain of your last Christmas because you watched the Husbands of River Song? Well, as of uh, recording, I still have to uh, to watch the Husbands of River Song. <laughs> it, it it may eventually fall into a missing episode the uh, missing episodes category, but at at this time, I have not brought myself to uh, watch the the Husbands of River Song. But having actually watched uh, Doctor Mysterio, um, I uh, might be just inspired to go back and watch uh, uh, the previous year's uh, Christmas episode. This episode, because uh, we're trying to get back in the saddle, as it were, it's going to be a bit of a, a mishmash of... Bits and pieces? bit neglectful on emails and just see how things go. We had our planning meeting uh, last week uh, at our usual uh, haunt, didn't we, Mark? So we... The uh, satay chicken skewers were fantastic, as per the norm. We bashed around uh, some ideas for about five minutes and uh, we indulged in the food so yeah so we've got we've got a we've managed to work out a full slate uh, of uh, topics for the rest of the year Un- unless certain you know special events intervene and upend everything uh we- we've got most of the year planned out haven't we what sort of special events you're talking about rob uh <laughs> the the impending impeachment of donald trump <laughs> <laughs> look the man's been on the job for three and a half days let's let's give him a chance give donald a chance folks <laughs> <laughs> I'm speechless. <laughs> <laughs> a bit like Donald Trump's actual inaugural speech, which was quite short. Did you see the before and after shots of the uh, inauguration? The uh, 2000 and, was it 2009 inauguration of Obama? Mark, you have your facts. I have my alternative facts. All right? My alternative facts are truer than your actual facts. Well, I thought that uh, picture actually represented Doctor Who viewership at the moment. 2010 and then 2015. Ooh, that's a Bill Shorten zinger right there. It is it? actually, yes, it is. 
No, the sort of thing I was talking about that may upend the schedule is perhaps uh, Peter Capaldi uh, being announced that he's not returning. Uh, I don't want that to happen. No, I don't. But um, look, from a marketing perspective, from a way of, uh, you know, it might even be a hard relaunch of the series. Uh, I don't know that Peter Capaldi would necessarily factor into that, which is a great pity because I'm beginning to think that he has been hamstrung uh, his era has been hamstrung by uh, Moffat's obsessions with uh, the past and also with some unfinished business from the Matt Smith era, which I might just gently touch on if and when we d- discuss Dr. Mysterio. But uh, yeah, I, I would think that uh, if Capaldi going would be big news and that might preempt us to, um, or you know, make us uh, sort of inter- intervene into our own schedule with, with, a, with something else. But, you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. And, of course, the perennial nonsense about the Omni-Rumor, if any oh, of it ever comes true. God. I know, it's sickening, isn't it? Hey, where are you on the, just for our listeners' sake... <laughs> on the international <laughs> public alert system. <laughs> those, those of us, those oh. of them who actually haven't just sort of deleted the podcast by now. Um, <laughs> where are you on the alert system with the Omni-Rumor? That silence is telling, Mark, and listeners, it's, it's very telling. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, life moves on. But I'm not sitting there pressing PF5 on forums. Now, this is in an, isn't in our notes, but what did you think of uh, the Toby Haydoke, uh Phil Morris Lovin uh, launched shortly or around the Christmas period? Look, it didn't really say too much. Anything I found interesting out of it was that he said that he found an episode of Mind of Evil that was unrecoverable, where I thought the uh, previous understanding was that it was an episode of ambassadors of death so that was anything that sort of piqued my interest but look phil is promising to reveal all when uh of his own choosing and that's really the only thing people have got that got to hang their hat on isn't it that the the prospect of actual concrete information so yeah but look let's not take up any more time any more of our listeners time with regards to that sort of stuff no uh we should move on to uh our first topic we were gonna have a quick chat about the uh christmas special but what we'll do is we'll uh before we go into our uh bile rantings how about we read a letter first rob from uh jed sweeney he begins hi guys here are my thoughts on the christmas special considering the superhero genre i felt it was mostly harmless and one of the better christmas specials and yes i know that is setting the bar low It could be interesting to compare this Doctor with his first season. He seems to me to be warmer and a lot less overtly alien, albeit still laced with some misunderstanding of humanity. Uh, And in in, in brackets here he says, How old are you, 36? Uh, Then again, it probably isn't that interesting. However, I reckon uh, the season 8 Doctor would have given the young Grant a swift kick to the knackers after he had swallowed the jewel, possibly as a way of making him vomit it back up. So on balance, a warmer Doctor is probably a better idea. Nardol was a pleasant surprise, and I get the impression that I'm not alone in that opinion. Nowhere near as irritating as I expected, I wonder how many episodes we will see him in, and will he be off on a graphology course when not present? I mentioned on another blog the issue of the truth field when the Doctor asked Lucy whom she was, and she told him. Not sure why this happened, and I have no doubt the Grand Moff will either reference it somewhere near the end of uh, Season 10, or more likely, just forget about it and ignore it, as I guess he probably had an episode of Sherlock to work on when he should have been redrafting this Christmas special. <laughs> Ooh, zinger. Mm. I need to take another look at the Season 10 trailer, as I am led to believe that the internet literally exploded over someone freeze-framing it and seeing him a villain. 
I am using the word literally in its least accurate sense there. Why is it that the current team can make as many gratuitous continuity references as it likes, and on the whole seems to get a free pass to do so, but the great J&T, and I use the word great in its least accurate sense there too, got castigated for the occasional continuity reference. Occasional slash least accurate. You get the drift by now, I hope. On the whole, I am looking forward to season 10, but I hope this cuddly Capaldi is an anomaly and we get the grumpy, knacker-kicking bastard back ASAP. And uh, Jed signs off by saying, Khan the Catters! Uh, which is a very uh, oblique reference to a AFL football team here. Who are very oblique, full stop. Mark, uh, what have you... Any response to Jed? I only have seen the season 10 trailer once at the end of the, of the Christmas special. I haven't f- uh, freeze-framed anything, to be honest. I was actually quite underwhelmed by the... Uh, the the trailer of course the Dalek was in there again it's a freeze frame we, we can't get too excited because I remember uh, last season there was supposed to be Mondaysi and Cybermans apparently appearing uh, in <laughs> Doctor Who and everybody's getting excited about that and nothing really happened so uh, you know the trailer really doesn't accurately reflect what is supposed to be going on anyway so uh, I'm just look I was underwhelmed by the trailer I, I didn't think much of the trailer there's some interesting visuals etc etc but uh what did you think of uh, the actual Christmas episode, Mark? Well, look, let's get the positives out of the way. Uh, mm. It was great to see Capaldi back in action. I mm-hmm. think, Jed, that the grumpy old bugger is long gone and now we have the cuddly version to contend with until he goes. The cuddly Maudlin version, Mark. Yes. The one who, the one who was inexplicably uh, saddened by the you know, <laughs> the death of Riversong. I'll get who, to that in a minute. Which he, he would have known it for at least two, two and a half I don't know how many incarnations, but anyway. Nardle was tolerable. I'm not a big Matt Lucas fan, but I thought his performance was quite subtle. My low expectations were raised slightly. Oh, they were raised, okay. I'm not convinced he's going to be a great long-term companion, to be honest. Do you think that that Matt Lucas being uh, hired for the show was planned from the beginning? Or do you think this is... There there are certain rumours going around... Uh, that we have, you know, we can't back up, of course, that he was sort of a late hire as a, a result of certain worries, perhaps, on sets? I don't know what the reasoning was. Uh, and to be honest, I haven't really sort of kept up to date with Moffat's... Isn't it bad we call it just Moffat? With with Stephen's um, outpourings, production uh, notes in the Cardiff Pravda to really, un- to really understand why Matt Lucas was brought back. Look, it could be to try and capture younger children because... Over my break, I was talking to you know um, mates of mine, their kids, and they're about 15, 16, and they've all moved, they've all stopped watching Doctor Who, so maybe they're trying to get Matt Lucas in to get more of the younger viewers in. But however, having a year off, yeah, is probably not the best uh, strategy to try and get younger viewers, and there's actually nothing to show them. There's a couple of or several things to unpack in what you just said there. Um, it, look, it may be that the 15, 16 year olds that you're referring to have simply aged out of the show. Uh, and it's now incumbent on the series to recapture or capture a new uh, a new cohort of, of kids who are you know eight nine ten eleven uh, and bring them in. Whether Matt Lucas, whose claim to fame I believe is Little Britain, yep, which I hardly think is a is is was aimed at, at, at children or young teenagers. Um, I'm not quite sure whether that is 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 the way to go. If that's the idea, I don't know what the idea is. <laughs> it's hard. I mean, I was just going to say, you were lukewarm to Matt's, Matt Lucas, would that be right? I thought he was okay. I was going in, as I said, with with, with worse fears. 
but I thought his performance was okay. I don't know if I want to see it for the whole of Series 10, though. Not having watched Husbands of River Song, I'm handicapped here. Uh, so why haven't you watched it? Um, I've not moved to watch it. I Look, after a certain while, there's just so much to either... There's so much media to consume. I mean, you know, we, we both work... Lots of people do, but we both work full-time and all that, and we've got family lives, etc., etc. And while I do have a copy of it sitting around on a hard drive waiting to be watched... After a certain point, I mean, I've got books piling up on the on the couch to my right, and I've got other TV shows to be watching. My wife and I have just completed watching seven seasons of The West Wing, which we started off sort of in the middle of the year. So that just sort of killed that. It's just hard to sort of wander back and see something that is no longer timely. And the fact that River Song was, you know, front and center in that episode uh, was a major turnoff for me. I, I I never really warmed to the character. I just I tended to think that she was Moffat in drag, to be frank, uh, which I know is going to make people people's blood pressure go through the roof. But I just every time she opened her mouth, I heard Moffat, and I I couldn't well literally because he wrote all our episodes, but um, I just couldn't. I it just it's just hard to do that. Um, but look, I, I owe it to myself and I owe it to our listeners to do the right thing and go back and 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 give it the benefit of the doubt. And one day I I will, but uh, not right now. But having said all that. I really thought that Nardal was, um, I'm assuming that's how you pronounce his name, I thought he was quite good. I thought Matt Lucas was quite good. I thought that th- this this is a character that really has no hang-ups. It, th- there's no Amy to uh, him. There's no Clara to him. He's just He just appears anyway to be you know competent and straightforward and a good foil for the Doctor. Um, and I, I, thought, I thought that he was probably the best thing in the episode. When did you watch it? The Christmas episode. Uh, I watched it last night. So it's been out for a month. And look, I'll be honest with you, I watched it two or three days after Christmas because uh, I, like you, had other things to do and I, I think I was still trying to get over George Michael's untimely demise uh, mm. to really cope with it. Why is it taking you a month to go and watch it? Is it the same reasons for the River Song episode or why? No, not necessarily. I mean, when it's screened here in Australia, I'm, I'm visiting uh, my, my family up north and there's there's no real opportunity to sit down by myself and and, and and watch it in a sort of environment where I can sort of concentrate. And it, look, when I was there, I had uh, no inclination to watch it at all because I know that, you know, uh, it's not 40 years ago where it's you, you see it and then that's it, you never see it again. An episode of TV is forever now and you, you've, as long as you don't drop off the perch the next day, you can come back to it and watch it whenever you want. So um, I had, again, I... Coming into it, I uh, well coming up to the when the Christmas special aired, I had no expectations, and if I've got no expectations about something, I'm not going to be inclined to to, to go after it and watch it. So I mean, I'm I'm glad now that I did watch it. I thought it was one of Moffat's better uh, efforts. I thought uh, it was entertaining enough. I, I could see that you know that the, the beginning sort of you know was designed to draw the kids in. I, I think the the middle third unfortunately dragged. A, a great deal, yeah. a lot, and uh, it, it is Doctor Who coming to the superhero genre about five years too late. But uh, and it is unfortunately a straight rip of the super Superman, uh, you know, uh, mythos or story or storyline. For all that, it was it was it was it was it was good. Uh, a lot of threads were left hanging at the end. So I just want to say, as a as a slight negative, it is a pity that. The Matt Smith era has not been completely quarantined from Capaldi's time in Doctor Who. We still get this overhang of, uh, you know, m- you know, just worrying or, or, or returning or these maudlin thoughts about River Song. It, it just seemed 
unnecessarily injected into the storyline. Why does the Doctor need to be distracted from his depression by going and saving planets? Why can't it just be for the, the, the fun of it or the, the sense of justice of doing so? Instead, you know, it's pointed out, I think, by Nardole that the Doctor does that to distract himself from being upset by Riversong's death. It just... It's unnecessary. All this should have been tied up in the Matt Smith era. And maybe if he'd stayed around for another year, you know, these are the storylines I think that would have been tied up if he'd stayed for another year. That's one thing I took away from it was it does lock out the casual viewer because it starts referencing Riversong again. And if the people hadn't seen the, the wedding of Riversong last year or doesn't really understand or know the character, they're going to say, oh, what's all this about? More fan wank. Did I enjoy it? I just watched it and said... Yeah, okay. And that's perfectly understandable. It's interesting, I was watching it with my wife, and she's actually stopped watching it. Um, yep. She watched Series 8, and she sort of dipped in and out of Series 9. But even she turned around to me and said, oh, the writing's gone. When you watched the se- Season 10 trailer, do you think, as a non-fan, would you have gotten a lot out of that? And would you say, okay, I've watched the Christmas episode, that was okay. Do you think that trailer would actually make me stick around and watch I want to watch, want to see next year's uh, series. No, because what was presented was an incoherent mishmash of different episodes, different images, one-liners, quips that doesn't form a co- coherent narrative about what you are going to be watching. That's the problem with attempting to sum up twelve or thirteen episodes in th- you know twenty-five seconds. Unlike a movie trailer, which you're, these days you're basically getting a, a good insight into what the movie is about, a Doctor Who trailer, it's you know where you're looking at all those disparate episodes. It's I don't think it works. Uh, I think it's more or less designed for the fans, you know, the, the people who are currently watching the show. I don't think there's been there's any real effort now that we're sort of three or four years into Capaldi's tenure to reach beyond where the show. is you know you know uh, reaches now even with getting a new companion in it appears that um bill is a retread of and look it's i'm going out on a limb here to say that but i think she she's a, a retread of rose tyler i mean the reference to you know chips and all that sort of thing is a straight lift from rose so uh, no i don't think the trailer would have appealed to anyone outside of fans and even as a fan um there was nothing there specifically that drew me in like I sort of intimated on our Christmas episode in, uh, at the end of last year, sometimes it feels like I'm on a treadmill with Doctor Who at the moment, and the only reason my feet are plodding forward is because I'm on this treadmill and I don't know yet how to get off, or even if I want to get off. I feel like a zombie Doctor Who watcher at the moment. So what Rob and I have decided is that for Series 10, we are actually not going to discuss any of the episodes until we've seen the whole thing in its entirety and then we'll we'll make a comment on it just so we can give ourselves i suppose a bit of headspace and don't feel the need to uh overly critique it but we just mm. want to go in and watch it and try and re-engage mm. with it without having the pressure of going well th- i like this or didn't like this just want to watch it so that's what Rob and I uh, have decided, and we'll do a season 10 wrap-up. Look, if you want a Doctor Who review episodes, there's plenty of other podcasts doing it, but that's what we've decided to try and, I suppose, reignite our passion for it. Would you uh, Would you concur with that, Rob? Yeah, I think the pressure to um, write down our thoughts immediately and then express them in a podcast is unfair to us, 
and it's unfair to the episode. I mean, you can give a lightning snap judgment about something, but I think it would be more fair to um, the, the, the the show itself. Not that our opinions actually matter, but it would be fair on our you know appreciation and understanding of what an episode is intending to wait until the end of the series to allow our thoughts to sort of you know percolate and and, and whatever and give uh, a, a better overall view and hopefully a more uh, hopefully a positive view because mm. sometimes you sort of if you give a snap judgment sometimes those snap judgments lean towards being negative or disparaging or just neutral when once you have the whole story in your head and what Moffat and the production team are intending, um, I, I think you can give a more balanced and nuanced opinion on, on, on the series. I'm going to ask you one more thing. So if I say to you, if you don't like it, why are you still watching it? Well, I'm doing this podcast for one. I've been watching the damn thing for 40 years. I think Capaldi is the shining light in the series and he's the at the moment he's the one who's holding it together. I want the show to succeed. I mean, I know we, we do come across as negative about the approach of the current series the beauty of the series is in time it will change and the personnel will change and there'll be a new opportunity for new stories and storytelling but i mean i honestly want it to succeed and and i want to see what capaldi brings to it now in his in his third year and this being moffat's last year um except for the christmas episode i believe uh, it'd be interesting to see how he approaches it and what sort of energy and drive he brings to it so I mean, yes, I'm a bit on autopilot with it, but uh, there's a genuine curiosity as to how they approach things. And look, it may turn out that nothing changes, uh, that it's the same approach from, you know, from last year, in which case that'll be a great pity. But we don't know that yet, and it's, it's, it's unfair to everyone involved to pr- sort of <laughs> anticipate that without actually knowing for a fact. So, um, yes, I'm plodding along, but look, it's like turning up to work. Sometimes you just <laughs> can't be asked. <laughs> But you, it's it's the show is in our DNA effectively. It's in our you know fan DNA. Mm. Uh, so you you just got to do it. You got to do what you got to do, and this is it. I still love the classic series, and you know I've uh, I just actually newsflash people with breaking news. I, I finally managed to acquire a copy of the Web Planet on DVD. So <laughs> once I finish watching uh, Newsflash, Time Lash. <laughs> uh, <laughs> How can you go from one extreme to the other? I don't think oh. I'm actually going from any extreme, mate. I'm staying at one polar extreme. So, oh. uh, yes, uh, look, I know that's uh, that is a bit of whiplash there. Web planet, time lash, web planet, time lash. But uh, I have my reasons. But um, yes, so I have got time. Uh, the web planet. So I look forward to watching that and sort of. Uh, Seeing what all the fuss was about. I can't talk because over the Christmas break, any Doctor Who I watched, apart from the Christmas special, was the rescue. How obscure is that? Well, that's all right, mate. The British Empire, you know, uh, according to the flag on the side of the ship, uh, made it to the uh, made it to outer space. So that's always good. So, Rob, so to sum up the Christmas special, your thoughts? Um, you enjoyed I it? I give it a yeah, I enjoyed it. I gave it a a B, a solid B. Great thing about it was it was a very small reference to Christmas. Which I thought, great, fantastic, get it over and done with, and just have a story in the middle. But I think the the rom com stuff sort of dragged it down quite a bit. Yeah, that was a bit tired, wasn't it? It was. We all knew where it was going and, and all that sort of thing. But we're back to into reviewing the episode, so we should move on to our next topic, Mark. A few months back, we did a episode called Opposites Attract, where Rob and I would take an opposing view. Uh, to a topic, a bit like alternative facts, I should say. A while ago, Doc Hoon from Diddly Dumb Podcast actually sent a topic through to us, and we promptly forgot about it until I was uh, dragging our <laughs> own archives over the summer break and went, oh, God, we've actually found it. So uh, Doc's topic was Bessie 
versus the Humobile. Uh, I am taking the Humobile uh, corner, and Rob, you are taking the Bessie corner. So, uh, Rob, would you like to kick off on this opposites attract? For those of you seeking the warm, soft, sticky embrace of nostalgia, a place away from the frightening chrome and plastic future of automation and machine processing uh, that will lead to the downsizing of our jobs that's currently barreling towards us at a rate of knots. They took our jobs. (laughs) They took our jobs indeed. I present to you and the listeners, Bessie, the personification of all that is holy, all that is handcrafted and bespoke. And while it may be a rattle-trapped, warty and carbon-emitting nightmare, it will more than respect you in the morning. It will, it will let you take it for a ride again and again. <laughs> Sorry. It sounds like an inflatable doll I used to know. <laughs> Was her name Bessie by any chance? <laughs> no, <by>? <laughs> Betsy. <laughs> no, yeah. I... Look, I will argue the case for Bessie. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's an anachronism uh, in the modern era. But it's a comforting anachronism. It, it, it speaks of velvet smoking jacket, jackets. It speaks of bouffant hair. It speaks of a comfortable and comforting authoritarian figures with, <laughs> with uh, fake mustaches. And swinging parties. <laughs> Swingers parties. Throw those keys into the punch bowl, Mark. <laughs> and it speaks of a pixie-faced uh, young blonde woman who was soon to drape her naked form all over a Dalek. <laughs> So, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Bessie, the ultimate uh, comforting blanket for you in this terrible Trumpian era. When you say Bessie, you should go, Me meow. <laughs> me meow. Me meow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mark, so that's me uh, just, you know, pouring myself into the soft, silky embrace of uh, Bessie. You're wearing a smoking jacket already when you were talking about that. <laughs> I've just currently lit up a cigarette, Mark. So yeah, I wish there's going to be an explicit tag on this podcast. (laughs) Well, speaking of speed, uh, I did some uh, alternative facts regarding the Humobile. So basically, Bessie, you you know, you're pontificating about how great it was. The bloody car only went at a top speed of 15 miles per hour, uh, or 25 k's. So basically, you're not going to outrun anything. Uh, in that car unless you overclock the camera which they did on a number of occasions particularly in the time monster with the was it called the inertia overdrive or something like that mm-hmm. now the humobile had a top speed of 105 miles per hour uh, which is about 160 kilometers an hour so that thing you know literally flew uh, <laughs> unlike the pedestrian Bessie which was always breaking down uh, a bit like the NHS bus really uh, it was always breaking down. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that bus, uh, the BBC continued to exploit Bessie at various conventions and exhibitions. And I know because I sat in Bessie in 1997 <gasps> in Klangoch and I got to ask my brother for the picture. So if I'm Jeremy Clarkson, I'd be going, it'd be the Hermobile all the way. It glides on the road literally. Uh, it's got a great speed, obviously. It has high-tech computers flashing lights, an aerial, and an attractive canopy. Well, never underestimate the attractive qualities of the aerial. Correct. I, I must I must tell you a funny story about what I did to my car aerial once, but anyway, we'll move on from that. Any other arguments about Bessie, how good, or was that it? Well, you just got to look at the two vehicles, Mark. One, one looks like a, you know, painful sex toy. <laughs> the other one is a lovingly handcrafted car from a bygone era, the Edwardian era, the last rosy glow 
of the peace of Europe before they all descended into the trenches and the mud and the blood and the guts and the bullets and the Huns. It was a beautiful time. And I, look, I, I, I look at the Hoomobile and all I can see is the blueprint in the Doctor Who technical manual. And I think that's where it deserves to be. You know, Bessie was built in 1969, don't you? Oh, well, <laughs> hey, what did I just say? 1969, it'll respect you in the morning, Mark. <laughs> And the Hoomobile was built in 1973. I'm going to counteract that, Rob, and just say yes. it goddamn flies the end. Did the Hoomobile actually manage to clock uh, over 100 miles per hour? Absolutely. It was going 100, top speed of 105 miles per hour. Uh, Holy cow. Where is the Hoomobile at this moment, other than orbiting the planet at that speed? Well, I can also talk about this, Rob, uh, because I will, however, finish my argument about the flying, because you know how the Hoomobile flew... And yeah. it had that blue fringing around it. That powered was powered by CSO. No, yes. it was actually that was actual carbon uh, filters, the off mm. carbon neutral filters kicking in, and mm. basically saving the planet, but mm. also getting the great man to where he needed to go. That's well, why that blue tinge uh, surrounded the Hemobile as it uh, took off to the skies. The the place the great man needed to go was to uh, Metabilis three and die basically. So, I. That's that's one strike against the Hoomobile, Matt, surely. You're not romanticising it at all, are you, really? <laughs> it looks like a chrome cyst, my back. <laughs> Hold on. Me, me, <laughs> Look, the person using it is guaranteed not to make that noise, I can tell you right now. All right, so that's the explicit tag for the podcast. Make sure you get the voltage right. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Well, look, it's good that we're blowing off the, uh, the cobwebs with this podcast and topic, Mark. <laughs> Anyway, I'll go back to your question about what happened to the Hemobile. So basically, uh, what happened was John Pertwee was contacted by a guy who was uh, his son was very upset by the tragic death of his mother. So John mm. Pertwee actually uh, gave this uh, kid the Hemobile and basically said, "Look, you can have this, but when I need to borrow it, I need to borrow it." And uh, true to his word, every time John needed it, it arrived on the back of a trailer in pristine condition, uh, full tank of fuel, as per all uh, rental car agreements but however it was sold in the early 2000s for about 1200 quid was that all and now it's stuck in somebody's garage hang on probably in wigan yeah, uh, just gonna trapped, say. <laughs> not getting out it's just basically nobody can uh, see it so yeah that's our kickstarter campaign for 2017 there mate we should raise funds to purchase the Hoomobile and ship it out to Australia where it truly belongs oh that'd be great wouldn't it i think the kickstarter campaign starts here mark patreon <laughs> now he's a billionaire he doesn't need the money allegedly so listeners if you think that uh, the Hoomobile won or Bessie won let us know I know which car I'd be driving and I know which car the listeners will prefer Mark well they'll be driving backwards with 15 miles an hour <laughs> well that's <laughs> in keeping with the doctor's environmental credentials he's just puttering along he's using less fuel he's getting more mile to the gallon or you know litre uh, to the kilometre uh, it's great <laughs> You've got mail. And now it's time for our overdue letters segment. Might call ourselves the letter louts again for this uh, particular segment. Do you agree with that, Rob? Yes, I'm feeling particularly loutish, Mark. Fantastic. And our first letter is from Andy Taylor, uh, not the guitarist uh, from Duran Duran, who says, I just finished your latest podcast at work. An excellent listen as always. I completely empathise with you overwatching New Who. 
I'm also a creature of habit and have kept up with episodes. Unfortunately, I often feel like, why have I just watched this and I'm not enjoying this? Completely agree with you about uh, DWM and their Everything is Wonderful viewpoint, while then going on to deconstruct and slate Evil of the Daleks. Keep up the good work. I look forward to next year's podcast. Have a great Christmas and New Year. Thank you, Andy. We did. Uh, thoughts on young Andy's email, Rob? Well, I think we touched on that uh, in our previous segment about uh, you know being creatures of habit and and that sort of thing. So there's nothing yeah. to say there. Uh, as to as look as to DWM, I mean it's a popular point that DWM is a you know as you said the card of Pravda. Uh, other people would point out that you know their 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 reviews of you know the last couple of years have been. Uh, less uh, cheerleading as such and more to the point so we have to give them points on that but I mean if you're going to slate evil of the dialects look shut the doors and go work for I don't know the new idea or something like that some other fact based magazine because if you're going to slate evil of the dialects you're not a fan of Doctor Who controversy the next one is from long time listener first time emailer Bernard JKD now he sent us a very 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 long email so what we can do is break it up by uh, segment so do you want to read the first bit, Rob. Okay, so Bernard begins by saying, Hi guys, here are a few points for you to discuss. They are topical, so maybe might help you in your show. Thank you, Bernard. So yes, uh, the first uh, segment is uh, bringing back a young doctor. If there is a push at the BBC to bring in a, quote, David Tennant-style doctor, unquote, then the question has to be asked, is the tail wagging the dog? Right now, we have one of the best actors in the role, an actor who has done every bit of promotional work asked of him and more. Okay, Moffat and Capaldi screwed up badly in Series 8 by making the 12th Doctor unnecessarily angry and non-sympathetic. The result was a series of bogus Doctor performances where the Doctor was not engaged with the audience and seemed fairly stupid rather than intelligent. The only other time I can think of a similarly strayed dynamic was from the twin dilemma to Revelation of the Daleks. But back then, the 6th Doctor was very eccentric and engaging. Capaldi's performance in Series 9 was at times almost unwatchable by comparison to Season 22. What also hindered the 12th Doctor in Series 9 was the constant barking on about him being old. This showed a severe lack of confidence in what Doctor Who is, i.e. an old man and his box. And also this illogical business about the Doctor not liking soldiers. This made the Doctor look quite stupid and maybe a bit hypocritical. However, again the show stymied itself by being put on post 8.15pm, several hours later than it is designed to be. So from a BBC point of view, it should be clear the actor in the role is hardworking, creative and dedicated. He also has the role nailed, but due to a dire Series 8 and a badly scheduled Series 9, the figures don't quite back up the popularity of Capaldi. Also, I have noticed that for the first time ever, we have a lot of previous Doctor material on sale, in particular the 10th and 11th Doctors. I can't recall a time in the 50 plus year history of the show where new material from preceding Doctors was tolerated and promoted over the material for the current Doctor. JNT, RTD and Moffat have always made sure that when a new Doctor came along, the, the supporting material moved to the new Doctor. There seems to be a drive to keep Doctors 11 and 12 in the revenue stream. This is worrying as it seems to me that the 12th Doctor is not being shown the respect that his predecessors were. So from a merchandising point of view, it's clear the BBC don't care as long as money is being brought in. So let's focus on what might happen to the show itself. I can see the marketing folk looking at the 12th Doctor and seeing him as expendable. Sure, let's bring in a new guy and let's get back to where the show was. Pop, pop, pop. This thinking is beyond stupid and for me is arrogant. However, if an executive is ultimately convinced to make a decision to recast based on business numbers, I think it's a very dangerous precedent for modern Doctor Who. The only consideration should be the quality of the show and the quality of the actor in the role. 
To me, Capaldi is a five-star doctor who has turned his performance around and lifted the standard incredibly high. Artistically and creatively, Capaldi, as the 12th Doctor, is now capable of anything. So the marketeers, I say this. The part of the Doctor is not that for a young man. In fact, every time the BBC have cast a young actor in a role, they have disappeared off to Hollywood at the first opportunity. In one case, they left the show in a major lurch from which that era could not recover. The Doctor should always be a mature man who has the energy of a youngster. That's why the older Doctors are magical. They look like aged grandfather figures but have the energy and personality of a younger man. Yes, there is an artistic case for younger actors. In this guise, it only works when the young bodied Doctor is played as an older man. But really, what did the young Doctors really bring to the role? Tennant's Doctor was simply an unwelcome pain who somehow became popular with a certain demographic. Smith's Doctor, on the other hand, was a vastly superior performance, but how lucky were we to have a younger actor who got the role right? However, ultimately the strain showed on Smith and he jumped ship with scarcely, scarcely a second thought. And let's not bring Eccleston into this argument, eh? If the BBC does jettison Capaldi, and I'm sure it will be all smiles from the relevant folk, where does it leave the show? Young doctors being the future? Stunt casting of a female doctor? Once doctors are considered to be expendable, the show may as well not be on TV and just become a collection of dolls and video games like some ghastly American franchise. Mm. There's a lot in that, Mark. That's only the first topic. So let's bring it back a bit. Do you think Moffat and Capaldi screwed it up in terms of making the Doctor uh, unnecessarily angry and and non-sympathetic? Of the two screen series, I prefer uh, Series 8 in terms of stories and in terms of the performance. I mean, there's nothing objectionable uh, in terms of uh, Capaldi's performance in Series 9. Uh, it's just that the, I think the, the stories from the very beginning uh, sort of set the tone, and I thought it was a tone that wasn't suited for the series. What about you? I think we mentioned this before. I did prefer Capaldi's early performance in Series 8 because it just reminded me of that classic Doctor more in terms of the, the, the silhouette of the costume and that spikiness, which... And maybe it went a little bit too overboard and into the Dalek. Uh, it did settle, settle down in remaining episodes. The cuddly version of Series 9 and the Christmas special. Look, I still get a lot out of the performance, but when I look, I suppose it's like looking at Tom Baker. You can tell there's three different distinct performances in, in, in his tenure. And this is his version of doing that. But the material really hasn't changed that much. It's just more the way he's, he's doing it. And look, there probably was more of a plan, unlike Colin Baker's, uh, in terms of merchandising, we don't get the merchandising uh, volumes and range that you might be seeing in the UK, so I really can't comment on that. I, I Look, I have seen 12th Doctor books in the shops at Christmas time. I haven't seen anything relating to earlier Doctors, excuse me, uh, apart from books where it's focusing on the, the all the eras of the modern series, but they always leave Eccleston off on the corner somewhere. Look, I think in terms of marketing... Should the marketers run a TV show? No, not really. It'd be like, you know, a movie. They, they remember Rogue One, they recut that, didn't they, after test screenings and had to reshoot quite large amounts of it because marketers and, and other people got involved in it. So I think it is dangerous having marketers running TV shows or having that sort of influence on TV shows. Yeah, look, I, I think with, with movies these days, especially blockbusters, uh, I think it's almost anticipated now that you know the director will go out and film the script and then he'll have a first go at the edit and then all the executives pile in and have their say which is understandable because there's an immense amount of money now being poured into these movies and the and the and the pressure to get, to you know to get it right to get to get the bums on the seats as, as quickly as possible and have the money rolling in to recoup the investment you know you will see uh 
um, many, many, many hands involved. Uh, as for Doctor Who, in terms of whether the marketeers really have a say, I I think they would go against the ethos of, of, of the BBC. I mean, I know the BBC is under a, an enormous amount of pressure uh, in Britain at the moment in terms of, you know, its 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 existence, what's what it stands for, uh, the the use of you know the license fee uh, and that sort of thing, and, and it, so I I I would be surprised um, that if if in terms of producing a TV series, the marketeers you know had a big say necessarily in uh, in 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 how something was was made. I mean you know they they obviously something like the Crown. They can they can market that as a, a sort of a you know a return to Downton Abbey sort of thing a, a a nostalgic look back on a bygone era, but whether they're influencing the actual you know the characters and the characterization and the writing, uh, I don't I, look I, I look who knows but I would be very surprised and I'd be if it did go on I you would you would think it would leak and there would be sort of artistic types working within the BBC who would rail against it and say that this is against the ethos of the BBC. We are a public service. We are meant to reflect British society and British history back to our viewers. And perverting that or poisoning that or twisting that to suit the almighty pound or the almighty dollar or the American market is uh, is something that I just can't see happening even in these fallen times. But the BBC now is buying more programs from external uh, companies so they don't have the uh, they wouldn't have they, they wouldn't have the complete oversight on on a, a production as opposed to if they're running it themselves but he who holds the purse strings holds the whip hand uh, to mix my metaphors um, so you would think that if the bbc is going to be throwing money at something they would you know they would have a have a have a bit of a say in how the 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 the, the series you know reflects the the, the bbc and it's and it's uh, remit. What about doctors, older or younger? Well, what do you like to uh, see? Look, personally, I've always preferred older, I mean, and, and mm. not necessarily ancient. I mean, I think the, I think the sweet spot for Doctor Who, for an actor, would probably be you know some somewhere over forty. Um, I mean, Eccleston Tom, age, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Eccleston. Tom Tom Baker was forty when he was cast in the role. I think Patrick Troughton was about the same. Um, I think uh, Pertwee was a little bit older. He's about f- he's about fifty, about I think. Yeah, fifty. Yeah, he's- so uh, he, he managed to get through the thing. So uh, look, I like Davison. I like Peter Davison's performance. I like Peter Davison's era. I think really it comes down to uh, the actor and how the era is written for. I mean, I, I, I my first inclination or instinct is to say no to a younger actor. But uh, if you, I suppose, if you get the right actor, you can get a thirty-year-old in, and as long as he's the right actor for the role, and uh, the writing is, is, you know, the episodes are good enough, then that that, that can work. But uh, I, my first instinct is to go with an older actor. Okay, so his second topic is this popular doctor. Don't make me laugh. Is his second point? I keep hearing from certain new Doctor Who fans that Tennant is the most popular doctor. The reason for this is summed up in a one-word connection. Due to Eccleston's abbreviated tenure, the David Tennant Doctor was the first Doctor the huge army of newbies latched onto. Sure as old Crusties uh, could look at Tennant and see him from what he was, a pretty middle-of-the-road doctor on his good days. However, these folk still want us to believe that he was the best. 
They can't let go. They can't get out of their heads that Matt Smith's Doctor blew David Tennant out of the water within one episode of his tenure. Have we seen this before in Doctor Who? Well, yes, we have. It's those 1980s Pertwee fans. Remember them? They couldn't accept that Tom Baker had blown John out of the water in the show from day one. And once Peter Davison took over in the 1980s, the voice of belittling Pertwee fans was always there biding its time. Always barking on about how great the show was and grudgingly admitting the show wasn't bad under Tom for a time. It wasn't until that article by Paul Cornell in the early 90s DWB, which clinically assassinated the Pertwee era, that these fans eventually shut up. Pertwee was shown to be no god in the role, and let's face it, neither was Tennant. Let me put these few facts to Tennant fans. There was an increase in ratings under Matt Smith. There was an increase in series sales under Matt Smith. There was a takeover of US fandom under Matt Smith. There was an increase in merchandise sales under Matt Smith. I keep hearing as a counter-argument that Tennant is great in Jessica Jones. Well, what a doctor does after he leaves the role may reflect well on the show, but is irrelevant to assessing the quality of the Doctor's era. Now that the show has had a bumpy and difficult time under Capaldi, the reasons explained above, plus the premature departure of Matt Smith's fallout, we suddenly have those sad tenant fans lurking on Twitter and Facebook, etc., all ready to pronounce how much of the golden age the tenant era was. They couldn't wait under Matt Smith, but that era was too good for them, so they had to shut up for four years. Now the show has hit a bump. It's all out being let out by the tenant fans. We now know tenant's uh, era wasn't a golden age, as we remember the jutting chin, the grimacing teeth, the shouty shout shout, the ickily weave story with woes, and the damnable radiation through his foot dance. I could go on. So enjoy your 10th Doctor memories in your bedrooms and don't hack off the real fans with your all pointless memes and nostalgia about a period that isn't a decade old. That's pretty intense. Mr. Tennant, is he the most popular new Who Doctor, do you think? Oh, absolutely. The numbers indicated, the press coverage indicated, um, the fact that he sort of broke open the, um, or helped broke open the um, the American market, I think Tennant uh, is the most popular new series Doctor. I just want to pull Bernard up a little bit. I, th- I think he's being less than charitable to new series fans. The impression that I get is that they don't necessarily spend all their time on the internet, on forums, blasting previous Doctors. I think that they have a generosity of spirit that a lot of old series fans could uh, could embrace. Uh, I think the new series fans are, you know, they're younger, they're more vibrant, they're, <laughs> they're less crusty. And uh, they're, they're, I think they're prepared to, you know, uh, experience new things in the show um, and do it in a, in a sort of a vibrant way and not, you know, look back in anger or, or express themselves in an angry way about a, a particular doctor, about a particular doctor's um, uh, performance or, or characterization. I, I think uh, Bernard is being a little bit uncharitable there. I disagree regarding the tenant. In America, I don't think he was particularly that popular in America. Maybe I'm wrong, but from my observations as I thought it was the Matt Smith slash Stephen Moffat era that kicked off uh, America to to new heights. I think the timing of of, uh, BBC America deciding to take an interest in the show and that big push in America... I think that was all down to Matt Smith and Stephen Moffat as well. I think Tennant was still on PBS, I think, over there. Maybe the last series wasn't, but they couldn't even get 
uh, a consistent channel. It was on Sci-Fi one week. It was all over the shop. So I prefer Matt Smith's performance to David Tennant's, to be perfectly honest, as well. But I know there's friends of mine who think that Tennant was the best Doctor out there. What we've been discussing since year dot, isn't it, really? Who's the best Doctor and who's, who's not the best Doctor? Well, that's the, that's the nature of fandom, isn't it? To, to, to argue endlessly over, over these... Um... And, and and fair enough to argue uh, over these particular points. I mean, there's there are just some topics that'll never have you know a definitive answer. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think Tennant is a fairly good actor. I mean, in Broadchurch, he was okay. Uh, the politician's wife, I thought he was particularly good in. But I think Tennant was the material he was given. He he performed it as he saw fit with the material he was given. It would have been fantastic to see Tennant doing Series 5 with Moffat, just to see how he would have reacted to the material from that, and the performance might have been more reined in, but then people might have said, no, I prefer Tennant under RTD, so it's probably just as well he left anyway. So, Are you arguing from a, a fan of the series perspective, and like a classic series fan, where we, we, we expect a bit of restraint, or uh, should we be looking at through the lens of the, of the public? From a classic series lens. Look, I grant you that that's a perfectly valid lens to look at these things from, but I think, you know, not that our day has come and gone, Mark, but uh, in terms of allowing the show to have the broadest appeal possible, I mean, look, I honestly don't think that the show would have lasted this long if not for the impetus that uh, the Tenant era gave it. He was enormously popular, and there's a reservoir of goodwill that still the show goes to today that was generated by his tenure. Now, granted, that that reservoir is, is uh, you can only go to the well so many times, but it's it's there nonetheless, and I think you can shed it home to uh, Tennant. And if the BBC want to return to that well, younger Doctor, more more accessible scripts potentially, probably more family oriented scripts. I mean, that's one thing I've got on Doctor Mysterio. It was very very family oriented. Yes, the audience was a Christmas uh, audience where it's supposed to entice general viewers, but it was very uh, accessible until the last five five minutes when he started banging on about River Song. I mean, really, who cares? Just on that point, Mark, I know I disparaged it earlier on in the podcast and I said, well, you know, what do we have to have this Doctor deal with the, 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 you know, the hanging, the dangling threads of the Matt Smith era? That said, what did you think of Capaldi's performance with regards to those particular, um, particular issues that were raised? The River Song. Yeah, about the River Song thing. Do you think that he gave a you know a heartfelt performance? Did you did you feel the character's pain at her passing? Did, did I mean as a as a piece of acting? What did you think? I thought it was okay, but from a character point of view, because I was associated River Song with Matt Smith. So if Matt Smith or Matt Smith's Doctor was in that, I would have understood uh, the, the pain he was going through because he obviously had lots of interactions with that character. Capaldi's only met her once. And yes, the end of her time was uh, in that uh, in that episode, but I think the emotional resonance would have actually carried a lot a lot more if it was all wrapped up in Matt Smith's era, as opposed to, oh, it's another it's another coda on top of another coda that we saw in David Tennant's. You know what I mean? Yes, that's that's valid. Yeah, I thought the performance was okay. I mean, look, he's a brilliant actor, right? He could sell uh, free trade agreements to Trump if he needed to. But from a character point of view, I didn't buy. The emotional resonance of of Rivers passing because he just as he just didn't have that as longevity and interaction with the characters as what we saw in the Matt Smith era. Yeah, I suppose it's a case of you either get River Song and all that she was, mm. or you don't. Yeah. And no matter no matter in what context she appears or is mentioned, um, 
it, it, it just you know for some people it, like us I suppose it, it, it she doesn't work and for others they you know they, they fall to the ground bawling their eyes out and fair play to them I suppose it appeals to people on different levels and as you said uh, the character was well overused in my opinion in series six again it's those it's those other supporting characters who are more important than the doctor gets mm. on my wick just a very a quick question before we move on to the final part of Bernard's letter. Mm. If the show had been rebooted at the very beginning, so it was a completely new version of, of Doctor Who, that everything uh, prior to 1989 had been tied off, mm. this approach uh, with, say, River Song, for instance, with Amy, with Clara, would you find that more acceptable? Yes. It's because I've got that the classic lens on it, and I think that's why a lot of younger people are getting into the program because they're not really interested in the, in the old in the old stuff so they haven't grown up with it like us and and that's why they can embrace the show as it is because that's what floats their boat the funny thing is we can uh, we can accept that kind of storytelling in any other sh- television show you know the sort of the romantic aspects uh, you know the sort of a the stronger female co-lead and all that sort of thing but with with new series Doctor Who for some reason I think it's fairly easy to work out why we we can't seem to get past that t- style of storytelling. Um, so maybe nostalgia is getting in the way of us, you know, fully embracing and enjoying the current approach. Or maybe it's just we don't think it's good television. I actually think it's a bit of both. Yep. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I think it's a bit of both. And that's not saying we are completely inflexible. I mean, there are episodes in these series which are fantastic and could probably hold a candle to some of the best stories in the classic series as well. Mm. I mean, if they're going to go with the, the sort of the romantic approach of, you know, Amy and whatever, uh, Amy and Clara, they were going down the right road with Clara and uh, her partner, whose name again escapes me. Uh, um, what's his name? Was Danny! Well, that's Here right. we go. Danny. There was an opportunity to have a sort of a will they, or, will they or won't they, you know, love slightly thwarted, but then they come to the realisation. That's a better approach, I think, for the series than... Clara wants to be the Doctor, or Amy is in love with the with the Doctor. I, I, I just for me that that aspect of it doesn't work. But if you sort of look at it sort of from a different angle, I think I think they can make that sort of approach work, but not with the Doctor as the pivotal figure. All right, so uh, we'll move on to the third and last part of Bernard's letter. We thought we'd never talk about this topic on the podcast, but unfortunately, we're going to have to. The show that dare not utter its name, Class. All right, so here we go. Now, keeping in mind that Bernard wrote this letter some time ago, and I don't think he's touched on the fact that it's now screening on late-night BBC one. Yeah, I think think so. But keep that in mind, keep that in mind. So what sort of mess have we seen with the BBC Three launch of Class? That's 3i, launch of Class. Watching these episodes, they are their own thing and certainly above the standard of the first series of Torchwood and the first series of the Sarah Jane Adventures. I've enjoyed Class more than I thought, even though I question the originality of the show within the Doctor Who franchise and TV sci-fi in general. But what sort of Horlicks has been made of the launch, though? No Radio Times coverage, no TV ads, uncertain BBC TV coverage, BBC America passing on -on day-on-day broadcast. As the White Guardian would say, nothing will happen, nothing ever. I cannot understand the launch strategy of this show. I read that they are depending on word of mouth, as if it was some downtown club serving a new brand of cocktails. Ratings hovering around 60,000? It's just suicide. I feel sad for those working on the show. Kelly's superb performance as Quill should be seen on a wider platform. 
I don't know what anyone is doing with the promotion and development of this series. It beggars belief. There must be a war going on at BBC3 right now, and whoever decided how to promote class must surely be back in the job centre. And then Bernard signs off by saying, P.S. I love your show. Regards, Bernard. I, look, I th- th- look. you would have to assume that there was some coverage, uh, you know, uh, or uh, advertising for class. The numbers, you know, look, and I don't even know what is deemed acceptable or great or poor or terrible in terms of, you know, internet uh, ratings for a show that streams uh, on BBC 3i. Uh, but I, we do know that it has been repeated late nights, like after 10 o'clock, I think, Mark, on BBC One, and is garnering awful ratings. I mean, you know, in some instances, it's the bottom rating show uh, of that hour. Uh, and even when it's sort of it's leading the other shows, the, the, the ratings are, they, they redefine tiny, don't they? Oh, they're minute for the amount of money they spent on it. And again, I can't, we can't comment about the UK promotion or lack thereof. Uh, over here, it had fairly big prominence on the iPlayer. I mean, I watched episode one. My my thing about class was that when you read the PR around it, it was all around, oh, it's original and everything like that. But really, when I watched episode one, it wasn't overly original at all. I've seen it before. And and maybe I had I had bad will against it anyway because it's more like, well, God, they're, stopping Do- they're not making Doctor Who because of this. And we all know they're making they stopped Doctor Who because they're making Sherlock, um, and that's been that's actually been confirmed by uh, Edmund Russell because I tweeted him after uh, I got pissed at a work function. The ratings are low for the amount of money they poured into it. Absolutely, and I'd be very surprised if it gets a, a second series. The Sarah Jane Adventures had a lot of goodwill towards it because uh, obviously it had a little slate in it. it was, and it was pitched at the kid, you know, at, at younger kids. But I actually watched it because. I actually felt some of the stories actually better than what was being screened on the new series at the time. Mm-hmm. It sort of evoked that classic series feel for me. Torchwood, I didn't really buy it until uh, Children of Earth, Children of Earth, which I thought was absolutely uh, brilliant. I thought it was a stonking uh, show. Uh, Miracle Day completely uh, pissed all that goodwill up up to up to up to spout. But this class didn't interest me. However, I understand there's kids who watched it, teens who watched it and enjoyed it. It was pitched at teens and they enjoyed it and watched it, and that's fine as well. I am surprised at the lack of the lack of ratings, though. But it comes probably comes down to promotion and, and the way it, it wasn't pitched. Your thoughts on it, Rob? Well, look, I haven't seen it. I have no interest in seeing it. It's Why not, haven't you seen it? It's pitched at a younger audience. Uh... Uh, but many things we watch are pitched to younger audiences. Yeah, we watch I it. Like I, I watch ha- the Flash. So yeah. why haven't I mean why haven't we embraced it? Do you think it's not Doctor Who? It's it's a spin off of Doctor Who. I didn't I didn't watch the Sarah Jane Adventures. I watched part of Torchwood. I watched all of Children of Earth because it was an. It's, it, my memory of it was being an adult sci-fi drama and thriller. So that that was in my wheelhouse. Um, I just it's it's for me it's 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 a spin-off of Doctor Who it doesn't really feature the doctor except in, as I understand it the first episode and then it's its own thing um, I have got my time is precious and I don't want to spend it on something that I don't, I'm not interested in why you know really really not interested in so no point in no point in me watching it at all look you're going to get the people who are dedicated Doctor Who viewers who's going to appeal to and I'll get on watch it and you're going to get people like recalcitrants like us who mm. just go well 
I'm not interested, I'll watch something else which is pitched more towards me, then that's okay. But for, in terms of Australia domestic, I don't know if it's been shown on terrestrial TV. I know it was obviously on iView and people watching it. And, I, and the ABC were really good in terms of getting, uh, getting the episodes out very quickly uh, post-UK transmission. I think they put episode one and two together, which I think was over in the UK as well. But look, yeah, I can't, I can't comment anymore on it because we never really watched it. So we sort of go on about it. I don't think ratings really... It's not, it's not an accurate way to gauge if people are watching anymore. Because, like you know, like Rob, for example, he, he watched uh, Doctor Mysterio a month later. Yeah. He's not he's not going to appear on the overnights. Class might build up an audience. It be, could be a sleeper audience. I mean, you know, it could be another year or two. It'll get on streaming, and all of a sudden starts finding an audience, and then they might commission something later on. I doubt it very much. Mm. But uh, I think the days of people hanging around a fax machine waiting for the overnights to come through are just uh, anachronistic. Yeah, it's long gone now, isn't it? It's long gone, you know, and that's what and that's what TV executives have got to get their head around. And I think, especially around uh, terrestrial television, <laughs> in this country. <laughs> well, well, look, I think I think that's still to be seen. I think this look uh, to go right off. I think once the government gets its uh, its media legislation through, there'll be consolidation. They've already sort of a lot of the the, the free to air networks here have got their digital channels uh, up and running. You can see Channel Seven, for instance, who has the uh, the Grand Slam tennis here, have got episodes you know sh- uh, not episodes but games you know streaming on the internet so uh we we uh, and i've talked about it before that the uh, the free to air networks are um, in a death spiral that they haven't actually realized yet but maybe they are they've, they've begun to um move with the times but you know we'll, we've di- i've digressed there but we'll see anyway yeah actually class was shown on abc too uh, yes, I was going. I was going to say that. That's right. I, I did briefly say it and then flicked over because I think I, I thinking my um, remembering my, my kids were in the room mm. and I, the subject matter not necessarily something that they needed to see at, at their particular tender ages. So, yeah. uh, I didn't want to mention the words. Oh, it's not made for me, but I think we have. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. All I was right. So not to, but we did. Yeah. All right. So that's our letters for to, for this episode. I think we have cleared the mailbag. We love to receive letters from our listeners, so please, if you've got any letters, uh, any thoughts, please send them through to uh, our email account, uh, Facebook and Twitter. All the social media, omnichannel stuff is at the end of the podcast. Yes, someone's dulcet tones uh, advises all that, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Who's yeah, that guy? Yeah. Uh, some prick, I don't know. So, Thank you very much for listening to our first episode of uh, 2017. I think Rob and I can safely say we are very rusty. (laughs) It's a bits and pieces episode. We're just blowing the cobwebs off the mics almost literally. Next month, we are back recording with uh, Dave and Richard. We've got a group discussion there. And also, uh, hopefully, we'll discuss our target books that we've been reading over the summer. Isn't that right, Rob? Uh, Sorry, what did you say? You're breaking up, Mark. I can't hear you properly. What was that? Something about what? Television? You're talking about yes. television again? No. Yeah, so we'll be talking with the guys uh, in that episode. And uh, yes, the rest of the year is hopefully mapped out unless we get a couple of maybe good surprises or bad surprises. And Mark, before we go, can I engage in a bit of log rolling uh, here? Uh, I um, Last year, or late last year, a collection of short horror stories came out from a small press, uh, a Canadian small press um, house called Pencil Tip Publishing. Uh, that collection uh, is called Grave Warnings. 
It's a uh, I co-edited it. Uh, it's a collection of five or six short stories. Um, a couple from New Zealand, uh, one from an Australian writer here, and uh, the rest of them I think from the UK. Uh, it's called Grave Warnings. Um, I would and I know again I'm log rolling and pushing something that I'm involved in, but there are some very very good short horror uh, stories in there, um, which I would heartily recommend uh, you all going out. Go to uh, Amazon. I believe it's actually showing on Amazon, uh, the Canadian Amazon. So if you've got <laughs> your dollar is on par with the Canadian uh, loony, uh, you can get a good uh, bargain there. So um, it's called Grave Warnings. If you want to send all the money to the publisher, just Google Pencil Tip Publishing uh, and Grave Warnings and you'll be able to find that. I was, As I said, I was the co-editor. It was a lot of fun, a lot of work. Uh, and uh, I just wanted to take the time to, uh, you know, shove that in your faces, folks. All right, Mark, should we uh, get out of here and let these people get on with the rest of their lives? I've been Sean Spicer. And I've been Kellyanne Conway. And we'll speak again very, very soon. You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.